Now, look, I, I, I want to start the hour with phone calls, actually, before I get into the monologue. We, people um, waiting, but I, I got a couple of emails. I, I left. I went and got my 20,000th cup of coffee for the day. I came back and I got emails from people saying I, I did a disservice talking about the degenerates. Well, I don't, I, you know, I used to watch the Oscars. I don't anymore. I swore I wasn't even going to talk about this. But a number of people saying, wasn't it a ratings ploy? Well, I got five or six people wanting to know if I thought the whole thing was staged. Um, no. One, I, I okay. Ah. All right. So many of us. Look at Hollywood stars. And we find them relatable based on interviews, all of which are staged and scripted. And they're movies and TV shows. You don't know Will Smith. You think you know Will Smith because Will Smith has one hell of a PR team that puts him in various positions to make you think he's very relatable. Will Smith is not relatable. Have y'all ever heard the interview about Will Smith's kids in the school? Will Smith funded a Scientology school. His kids went there for a year. I mean, these are some deeply, deeply um, unrelatable people. He and his wife live in an open marriage. His wife sleeps around on him and has talked about it. And Chris Rock tells a dumb joke. By the way, earlier in the Oscars, uh, people were making jokes about their open marriage, and he did nothing. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to be one of the, there are all sorts of Twitter hot takes about, oh, well, he's just emasculated, and he's he's lashing out. And, and I mean, the joke was dumb. The joke did not warrant what he did. If you, were, if you wanted to be a man about it, though, uh, you, you ball up your fist and you throw a punch, you don't slap. But you don't know these people. What you should know is they're a bunch of degenerates. And as much as Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith uh, try to uh, dance around the idea of, of somehow they're not affiliated with Scientology, they do throw a bunch of money into the cult or have in the past. I don't care about these people. Uh, what I will tell you is that, uh, no, it was not a ratings ploy. And I know a lot of people, I got five or six emails here from people, wasn't it a ratings ploy? No, here's how ratings ploys work. Uh, a ratings ploy is designed for you to tune in, not to talk about it after it's over, because the advertisers, they don't care about you talking about it afterwards. Uh, the, you got to talk about it beforehand. So if the Oscars were to come out ahead of time and say one loser from each category is going to be announced as the winner, come on stage, and we're going to kill them live on television, you would all tune in to watch that stuff. That's a ratings ploy. Will Smith slapping Chris Rock because of a bad joke is not a ratings ploy because you did not anticipate it. You did not tune in expecting to have it happen. And also, the Oscars, they're only around once a year, so it had been a terrible ratings ploy. No, it wasn't a ratings ploy. It was just uh, Will Smith, I guess, um, needing a, it was such a dumb thing, too. But, boy, people are talking about it, people who don't, never even talk about the Oscars. Here I am talking about it. I will tell you this. Chris Rock is friends with some of the greatest comedians on planet Earth, all of whom now have great material 
I'm going to Bill Burr's stand-up. Uh, he's coming through town uh, in a couple of weeks. I'm gonna, going to it. I'll be disappointed if he doesn't have something to say about the slap heard around the comedian circuits. And Chris Rock, for the next two years, should be doing cuckold jokes nonstop. That's all I got to say about that. We'll move on to more important topics now, besides a group of degenerates having a party full of drugs and alcohol and God knows what else, and thinking they can lecture the rest of us on how to live our lives. We should talk about cities. And in fact, the collapse of American cities. There's some fascinating, actually, uh, fascinating data, uh, uh, not just with the collapse of cities, but also the collapse of our population. There is some breaking news, though, and I do want to get to the phone calls. Uh, The breaking news is it appears uh, Roman Abramovich and the Ukrainian peace negotiators have all been poisoned by the Russians. Uh, Roman Abramovich is what he owned Chelsea, the uh, soccer club in the UK. He's a Russian oligarch. He's a multi-billionaire several times over. Uh, He was trying to, uh, he's Jewish. He's had close ties to the Ukrainian president and also to Vladimir Putin. He was traveling city to city inside Ukraine with the Ukrainian peace negotiators, and apparently they're all suffering signs of what appears to be either chemical, biological, or radiological poisoning, but poisoning nonetheless. They assume it's from hardliners in Russia. Uh, That's hitting the wires now. I want to talk about the decline and collapse of the cities in America and the population, but before I do, got a couple of people on hold. I want to take their phone calls as well. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program today, I'm not talking about the Oscars though. 877-973-7425. Billy, you're up first. Welcome. Hello, Eric. Enjoy your show. Uh, Got a question on what you were talking about, the money being raised by Stacey Abrams outbid David Perdue, which is understandable, I guess, because he's probably not that good of a candidate. But who are these people that are given to the Democratic Party? They know that the gas prices are as high as they are. They know the borders just a collapse. They know that the, the food prices are the way that they are, and it's all due to the Democratic Party. They don't hide anything. Their goal is to destroy America, and they'll come on out and tell you, but yet people stand behind them. Who are these folks? So, okay, so um, Abrams and and Abrams and Purdue both have about 80% of their money raised from out of Georgia, not Georgians. But between the two of them, Abrams has a few more donors in Georgia than, than Purdue does. Um, so she's raised a little more money inside Georgia. Overwhelmingly, it is coastal elites uh, giving to Stacey Abrams, Democrats from outside of Georgia, or progressives inside uh, the metro Atlanta area. Stacey Abrams does not have a lot of money outside of the metro Atlanta area. So it is uh, typically either black Democrats or rich white people who can insulate themselves from the societal fallout caused by Democratic Party policies. That's who gives money to Democrats these days. Uh, Bob, you're going to be up next. Welcome, Bob. How are you? I'm having a great day, Eric. I always like listening to your show. I find that it's more informative than others. You give background on subjects you're talking about and explanations so you can relate better to so us it. listeners can relate better. Uh, what I was commenting about is I basically voted conservative most of my life. I did vote for Kennedy. Um, but, and I voted for Trump in the last two elections, 
But I find that, and, and, and I vote on the basis of performance, not personality. But I'm finding that his actions here is, is seems petty and vengeful and not necessarily making politically adept choices to ensure the promotion of policies and the party rather than his personality and personal agenda. Yeah, look, I you know, I, I, I struggle on this one because a lot of people think, even though I supported him in 2020, that everything I say comes from some uh, vantage point of, of not liking the guy. I don't care for him. I would have voted for him um, just because he better than the alternative, uh, Biden. But I, I will say this. One of the biggest criticisms, Bob, that I think a lot of people level at Trump, even among people who are in his orbit who like him, uh, but they whisper, is that a lot of his decisions made right now are about nursing grudges and grievances that are personal to him and not about going forward. So, for example, uh, when you look at the U.S. Senate picks and other picks, or even if you look at his conduct after the election in 2020, a lot of the things that Trump decided to do were about Trump-specific and not about his policies. Uh, he was willing to support people who have openly condemned his policies in the past uh, as long as they then said nice things about him personally. And in politics, and I know this is uh, difficult sometimes for people to understand, in politics, your legacy is not you. Your legacy is what you can get done and keep done. Because there are a lot of things that can be undone with difficulty and people who are willing to go through the difficulty of doing them unless you on your way out of office and after you leave office are working behind the scenes to prop up people to keep those things gone, going. Donald Trump has had the ability in the past to prop up his legacy and ensure that the policies that many of you who supported him supported. And instead, for example, after 2020, went through and has continued to nurse the 2020 grievance. And even now in interviews with, like, for example, last week, Stuart Varney on Fox Business said, we got to relitigate 2020. We can't talk about 2022 and 2024 without dealing with 2020. Some of you will agree with that, but most won't. And while focusing on 2020, we're dropping the ball on finding good candidates who could protect his legacy. Just look at the runoff, the January 2021 runoff. When Trump went to Georgia to campaign for Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, every stop was about the stolen election. Not about Perdue and Loeffler. And at the time, he was so fixated on it, uh, the Purdue and Leffler team were complaining behind the scenes that he was going to suppress the vote. And 427,205 Republicans who voted in the general election did not show up in the January 2021 runoff. 427,205. It's a very precise number. How can we tell? Well, when you go vote, we can tell who voted. And we can tell, do you vote in Democratic or Republican primaries? Do you vote in Democratic or Republican presidential primaries? And 427,205 people who voted in the general election and vote in Republican primaries did not show up for the runoff. David Perdue lost by 90,000 votes in Georgia, handing the United States Senate to Chuck Schumer. 
and they were able to wipe out every good thing Donald Trump has done. Legislatively, the Democrats can put a package together in reconciliation. They can wipe out the Trump tax cuts. They can do all of these things. They can get Joe Manchin on board because Donald Trump decided to nurse his personal grievances instead of realizing that a lot of people who may not care for him personally voted for him because his policies were really good. And now those policies could be undone. And moving forward, is it still going to be about Trump's grudges personally or about his policies? And if it's about his policies, there are a lot of great candidates who will support those policies who may not personally like the guy. And that's kind of the problem I've got here is, you know, like I liked his tax cuts. I'd like to keep the tax cuts. I liked his policy on Israel. I liked his policy on Iran. I liked his policy on uh, the Green New Deal and climate change. I liked getting us out of the Paris Accords, all of that sort of stuff. Joe Biden, of course, can do some of this executively and has to put us back into these, but like the Trump tax cuts and some of his immigration policies can't be undone without Congress doing them, and he's supporting a group of candidates, making it less likely for the Republicans to take back the Senate. And that's my problem here. The Republicans need to take the Senate, and some of his picks for Senate candidates are not very strong picks. There are other candidates who would have his back, but they don't kiss the ring. And I would rather have candidates protecting his legacy than kissing his ring. And he, it seems, would rather have people who kiss his ring and aren't necessarily going to be uh, viable candidates in a general election to be able to win. Okay, I, I want to state something that should be obvious that may not be obvious for people. I like a high thread count sheet. But if the threads are crap, the sheet's going to be crap, no matter how many uh, threads you need. It just it, it's it's amazing how people want to highlight that. And the reason I highlight this is because Boland Branch makes high quality sheets, and they're not a bajillion majillion thread count either. But their threads are super high quality. They use 100% organic cotton threads. They give super softness. You get a better night's sleep. They're not just buttery, soft, breathable, impossibly soft to start. They get softer with every wash. I can attest to this. Every time you wash them, they just seem to get a little softer, and they hold up so well over the long term. You know, I'm on, gosh, maybe my second set of Bull and Branch sheets in, in a decade. So they just hold up so well. They're a quality product, and they give you such a good night's sleep. Oh, my gosh. They're so fantastic. I really do love these sheets, and I love Bull and Branch. You can, too. They are fantastic. They're so luxurious. Three U.S. presidents sleep under Bull and Branch sheets. So you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BollandBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC. Get a good night's sleep under Bull and Branch sheets. This other program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, if you're in charge of the finances of a business, they can help your business grow. Reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com. You get all their contact info there, firstlibertyga.com. Uh, most important, they, they do big deals. So $750,000 and up. If you're looking to buy a building, build a building, or do something creative where banks are telling you no and you think it'll really work, reach out, firstlibertyga.com. Uh, I want to go to one more call. Uh, I'll take a, this call. This call will be it. Jim, you have my permission to talk about the Oscars. Okay. It's, and, you know, a few days ago when I heard Os, 
Sean Penn say he would smelt his Oscars if Zelensky was not invited to speak. I thought, well, maybe Hollywood is starting to get a little bit serious, a little, maybe a little more grown up about the world. But after last night's meltdown, I'm thinking, thank God he was not invited to the Oscars. That would have been so undignified. It would have been embarrassing to have him on there and watching these bazillionaires B.I.H. slap each other in public. Oh, God. Yeah, it, it, look, the, the whole thing, and they started off the night uh, railing on the Florida Don't Say Gay Law, which, by the way, there's some breaking news here. Uh, Ron DeSantis has signed the parental rights and education law in Florida. That's the law that the left says is don't say gay law. Ron DeSantis has now signed it into law as of about five minutes ago. Um, but yeah, listen, Jim, you're right. Um, Zelensky did not need to be a part of that. Uh, for some reason, people in Hollywood really just have some sort of high-mindedness. They, they think that they are important enough. Like the celebrity montages. The celebrity montages try to get you to vote. You, you know who, I mean, for example, like, um, I like George Clooney. George Clooney has never appeared in those stupid montages, nor has Chris Pratt, for example, appeared in those stupid montages, trying to convince people to vote, doing those stupid songs for Hillary Clinton and the like. You know what? Uh, George Clooney does not lecture people on the stage of the Oscars on human rights. He actually bought a satellite array to monitor the human rights situation in Sudan uh, and Ethiopia, uh, that's putting your money where your mouth is, as opposed to the moral preening on stage at the Oscars that a lot of these people do where they really do believe. And here's the thing. This is this gets to Joe Biden. This is something Joe Biden and the Oscars have in common here. The actors and actresses at the Academy Awards tend to believe that because they play a role in film, that somehow they have some moral credibility to speak to the issues of our day if their films relate to those issues. They essentially plagiarize from history. They plagiarize from the screenwriter who has written the words on the page and their entire job is to memorize those words and repeat them back as written or with some slight variation. You have some people who have a, enough sense of self-awareness that they don't fall into the trap of thinking that given their stature, they're somehow great. But you know what? Joe Biden falls into this trap. Joe Biden is a parasite. I don't necessarily mean this pejoratively, but just follow along with me. Joe Biden for years has plagiarized other people. It derailed his first presidential attempt because I think it was Neil Kinnock, a labor leader in, in Great Britain, he had uh, plagiarized from. But Joe Biden wants historic moments to be compared to Franklin Roosevelt, to be compared to Lyndon Johnson, and now with his speech in Poland, to be compared with Reagan and Kennedy. They were actively pushing, the White House was actively pushing comparisons to Kennedy and Reagan, arguing that somehow Biden transcended them. Joe Biden is parasitic. When it comes to history, he takes other people's words and deeds and tries to glom onto them and make them his. Very much like actors and actresses do in Hollywood, taking other people's lines, taking other things people have other people have written and trying to make them their own and then claim their own moral credibility for the work of others. That's what Joe Biden has done for 50 years. In the words of Barack Obama, Joe Biden has effed up everything. And in the words of uh, Bob Gates, 
the Secretary of Defense, Joe Biden's wrong about everything in history. But Joe Biden is a parasite of history. He takes the deeds and words of others and tries to plagiarize them for his own advantage. Hi there, it's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's take some phone calls here. I will talk to my audience. Why? Because I care. Tom, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, how are you, Eric? I love your show. I got a question for you, and it's kind of around Donald Trump and his uh, influence, as you said, has been kind of waning over time and everyone's looking past 2020. But my concern is if Donald does get into the um, the race and he uh, goes up against the Republican primary candidates, he is going to spend that entire time just destroying them through personal attacks. You know how he always goes after people like that to the point that if he doesn't win the Republican nomination, that candidate is just going to be poisoned for the general election. Do, do you see it that way? What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, is that look, a concern? I, I, I kind of think, um, you know, Donald Trump actually won. And, and I think people kind of forget this historic fact, Tom, that uh, when Trump won, he got 43 percent of the vote cast in the Republican primary. 43 percent. Uh, the only person to ever get uh, as little a percentage of the primary vote and be the nominee was Mitt Romney in 2012. Uh, that's not a lot. And the reason Trump was able to become the Republican nominee with such a small amount of the primary vote was because there were a bajillion candidates. And I kind of think the GOP is going to do the same thing again. And the Democrats in 2024 are going to do it to themselves as well. You're going to have a bajillion candidates on both sides. Now, the Democrats have uh, super electors. They've, they've degraded their capacity to make a difference. In the past, the Democrats had an elite who could bless particular candidates and, and give them a lot of the vote uh, for their nomination. The GOP has never done something as elitist as that. Uh, I, 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 I don't know if he's going to run again. He keeps hinting at it. My suspicion, in fact, in, in Georgia on Saturday, he had an event in Georgia and, and suggested maybe he would run again in 2024. He keeps dropping the hint. I just, he will be Biden's age in 2024. And I, I'm, I'm rapidly moving to the consensus opinion that, uh, we don't need anyone over 70 becoming president again, or maybe 75, uh, just given the middle deterioration that takes effect by, around. And I don't mean this, by the way, I don't mean this insulting to anyone. But even you, those of you who are senior citizens listening, know that when you hit above 75, particularly around 80, uh, the, the, your brain starts changing even further. And I'm not suggesting dementia or Alzheimer's or anything like that. I know plenty of capable 80s. My dad is 82 and sharp as a tack. But also you do start slowing down and, and you wear out quicker and stuff. And, and I don't think we need an 80-year-old to be president. But it's up to him. Uh, and it's up to you, the voters, to decide uh, who you want as the Republican nominee. I will have every single one of them on the show. If they want to come on and chat uh, when I do the next uh, gathering, I will have a <laughs> – don't roll your eyes at me, Charlie. I can feel it. <laughs> when I have my next gathering, when, not if, I'll have them all there. To talk, uh, and uh, you, the voters, will have to decide 
uh, how you want to go forward. Lisa, thanks for being patient with me. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Hey, Eric. Hey, so I wanted to call because I, along with several other of my girlfriends, were at the Trump rally this weekend. And you made the comment about people leaving early, and, uh, and I was one of those people who left. I, we stayed about 30 minutes into the Trump speech, and then we left um, and headed out to beat the traffic. And I got to tell you, is unless you were in the stands or in the middle where there was a seat, we stood for hours on end and, you know, feet back aching. So by that oh, time, we were like, hey, we've heard him once. We've heard him several times. <laughs> Let's cut a trail and try to beat, beat the crowd on that. So I wanted to say don't overanalyze that. And then the second thing that I think about is I know that you're a, a Kemp fan, uh, and I'm not saying that I'm a Purdue fan at all. I'm, I'm open, certainly open to this. But the polls keep telling us that Purdue is 10 points behind Kemp. And I would say, you know, where have we been before when we put stock in the polls? And I I would clearly want your opinion as to if you really believe those polls, because don't discount the silent voter that doesn't answer those polls, or maybe they don't answer those polls correctly. Yeah, yeah, okay, that that's a really good point. Um so I don't individually count the individual polls. Uh what I pay attention to are the polling averages because I think the polling averages tend to get it right. Uh for example, uh the the polling averages in uh in 2016, if you were to order them by state, would have showed you uh that Trump was going to win the electoral college. Uh, the polling averages in 2020, I think, were one and a half percent off of the national average. In fact, in 2016, uh, the polling average and the national popular vote percentages were pretty much dead on. I think they were off by about a percent or two. So the polling averages are far better than the individual polls because some pollsters are garbage pollsters, and the polling averages tend to sort them out. And if you take the Kemp and the and the Purdue polling averages right now. Uh, what you do is you see polls that tend to average out to Kemp is about 10 points ahead. Now, what's more notable about this is what you don't see out there. You don't see Brian Kemp or Stacey Abrams or the Republican Governors Association even mentioning David Perdue anymore, which suggests to me that their internal polling, which is always better than the external polling. Now, a couple of reasons, this, as an aside uh, for Lisa and everybody, um, internal polling for pollsters, your national polls tend to, in a state, poll two to 500 people. Your internal polling tends to poll a couple of thousand people and does cell phones and landline phones and gets a better demographic mix. Uh, an internal private poll costs three, four times as much as a public opinion poll. Uh, and so there are a couple of things you don't see out there right now. You don't see Kemp, the Republican Governors Association, or Stacey Abrams talking about David Perdue. If their internal polling for any of them had Perdue with a pulse, you would see a change there. In fact, the moment you start hearing Brian Kemp going after David Perdue again, you will know that Brian Kemp's internal polling has showed a bounce for David Perdue. The other thing you don't see out there is David Perdue maintaining his old message. Uh, you know, Perdue's main thing was stolen election. And now Purdue is coming out. In fact, uh, Purdue got mad uh, over the weekend. 
he blasted uh, Brian Kemp for giving taxpayers a rebate on their taxes. So in Georgia, there's a, I think, $3.2 billion surplus, something like that, some extraordinary one. When COVID happened, the governor in Georgia shut the state down and demanded that every state agency cut 10% out of their budget. Some of them threatened to fire people. He's like, all right, fire them. You got to cut 10%. Every state agency had to cut 10%. And then he reopened Georgia before DeSantis reopened Florida, stimulated a lot of growth in Georgia. Donald Trump attacked him. He plowed forward. The state reopened. Now the state has this massive surplus. So they're giving teachers a pay raise, and they're also giving taxpayers back a portion of the money. This has happened a couple of times before, but David Perdue was on the campaign trail attacking uh, Brian Kemp for giving the taxpayers back part of their money. He argues that it is uh, just a stunt during an election. Maybe it is, but it's happened in the past. Now, so this gets back to this, and and this translates across every race, wherever you are, pay attention to what's being said and what's not being said. So in Georgia, for example, uh, you don't see any candidate talking about Purdue anymore. That suggests all their internal polling shows he's he's flubbing it. In uh, in Missouri, for example, you suddenly see this pile on of Eric Schmidt. Um, so I say, yeah, Eric Schmidt. Schmidt is the attorney general in Missouri. He has surged into the lead in the polling there, and suddenly nobody's attacking Eric Greiten, who is uh, the former governor. They're all attacking Schmidt. That suggests that everybody's polling shows this surge for the uh, Missouri attorney general in the polling. Same in Georgia. I mean, when, when you see candidates behaving in certain ways, you get a sense they're being directed by their internal polling. So David Perdue shifting from a stolen election campaign to attacking Brian Kemp's leadership suggests he is in second place because the second place person is always attacking. The first place person isn't, which is why you don't see Kemp attacking Purdue. Uh, and it also suggests his stolen election stuff isn't working. So he's had to change his tactics and focus on other things within the state of Georgia uh, and Trump's ma- or Kemp's management style. All of that tells me that while the public opinion polling individually may be wrong, that the trend lines are right because, again, you don't see anybody out there mentioning David Perdue. Nobody is out there talking about him right now. Um, Kemp isn't. Abrams isn't. The Republican Governors Association, who, which is supporting uh, Kemp, they're not attacking Purdue. They had been. They're focused on Abrams. Uh, and you don't see Purdue talking about stolen election. You see him talking about other issues. That suggests he's had to shake up his campaign message and is still going after Kemp. All that being said, uh, yeah, I think. And the fact that the Trump people themselves referred to his visit to Georgia as a rescue mission for Purdue suggests that they, too, view it in that way. Boy, that got off the beaten path, but that was a helpful question. Uh, thank you, Lisa, for the call. Um, and again, the, the bottom line on polling always, uh, rarely should you pay attention to issue polling. So when it's when, when any poll comes out and says a majority of Americans support X, Y, or Z, ignore it. Oftentimes the polling can be right, but very often when they ask questions, They ask questions in order to shape views. So, for example, gun control activists always shape polling to make it look like people favor more gun control. But when you actually ask people specifics, the the polling tends to go the other way. Or look at Build Back Better. Uh, Build Back Better, the president's plan. Uh, Democrats would push these individual items of do you favor taxing billionaires? Well, yeah. 
people favor taxing billionaires. We're going to get into this in the next hour. Do you favor taxing billionaires? Yes. But uh, do you favor taxing billionaires so the government can spend $5 trillion on other programs? Actually, most people say no. It all depends on how you ask the question. But you can pay attention to candidate polling, who's up, who's down. What you have to do with candidate polling, however, is not look at an individual poll. If a poll comes out, like, for example, the NBC News poll, the NBC News poll on Joe Biden has his job approval at 40%. In the context of NBC News polling, it's notable because this is the lowest it's gone, and it follows a trend. NBC has the same pool of of type of voters. NBC is not going and asking the same people every month, but they're asking the same kinds of people every month. And those kinds of people are shifting. That's telling. But when you put them all together and you take polling averages, the polling average, you can generally get a sense. The polling average tends to be plus or minus 2% off from where things actually show up. So when you have in Georgia, for example, the polling average has Kemp with a 10-point lead over Purdue, you can say, yeah, that's probably plus or minus 2%. So maybe it's an 8-point lead, maybe it's a 12-point lead, but he's ahead. Uh, when you see the national poll, and it has Joe Biden with a negative 13-point spread, or actually it's a, a negative 12.9 spread right now, you can say plus or minus, yeah, maybe it's a 10.9 percentage point difference, or maybe it's a 14.9 percentage point difference, but most Americans don't like his handling. Follow the averages. Don't follow the individual poll. You'll be less prone to make rash judgments and less prone to be surprised by the trend lines and the polling when that happens. Now, I don't want you to be surprised by the dirty air in your house when you can eliminate it. Man, you come home after you've been gone and your house smells a little musty, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm can take care of it. In fact, if you go to a hotel, if you're in a rental car that stinks, your Eden Pure Thunderstorm, it can eliminate smoky odors, pet odors, so much fry odors in my kitchen. It eliminates the fry odors from when I fry shrimp. You can go to EdenPureDeals.com. You can put Eric3, E-R-I-C-K-3, in the search bar, or actually there will be a discount code box on the front page of the site now. You put in Eric3, and it will take you to the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, and you can get a three-pack. You can get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You're actually saving $200, and you get free shipping. What you do is go to EdenPureDeals.com, put in the discount code eric 3 At checkout, there's a discount code box. Now, if it hasn't carried over, it should. But if it doesn't, because your cookies are turned off on your website or whatnot, put in the discount code again, ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3, and you will save $200. You will get all three of them for less than $200. You will get free shipping on the Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier. And by the way, did I mention it's filterless, so you don't have to get a filter subscription. Just wipe it out on occasion. It's a great deal, great product, EdenPureDeals.com. All right. Have you ever heard of the phenomenon, there's a Trump tweet for everything? Because there really really is a Trump tweet for everything. Back when President Trump was president, pretty much any event that happened on the world stage, someone could find a relevant tweet from Donald Trump going back years that fit the situation. Well, the phenomenon continues. Will Smith is a really great guy. And I love what he did to the wise guy that kissed him, I think, on the lips. And Will looked at him and smacked him. It was really great. Other people should do that. I look at this wacko, Sasha Baron Cohen, who's got no talent whatsoever, going around doing all sorts of things and really abusing people. And somebody ought to whack him and he'll never do it again. 
So, Will Smith, I congratulate you. That was great. I only wish you hit him harder. <laughs> There's a Trump tweet. Right? That's from May 22nd, 2012. I don't know what the event was where somebody kissed Will, Lip, Will Smith on the lips and he smacked him, but Donald Trump did and said he should have done it harder. That was his only criticism. <laughs> there is a Trump tweet for everything. My goodness. Okay. We got to move on to other stuff because, you know, I had an entire an entire hour planned. And it went off the reservation with you. Can, can you even say that anymore? I don't, I don't know if you can, but I just did. Uh, but right now, what I was supposed to talk about was Joe Biden. He wants Congress to fund the police. Yes. President Biden is going to propose more than $32 billion in new spending to fight crime. According to people familiar with his budget, he uh, says this is uh, part of his State of the Union promise to fund, not defund the police. And because of rising crime, remember how uh, rising crime was, it was all COVID. It really wasn't anything else. It was all COVID. And inflation was transitory. If it was all COVID and we're all out of lockup now, why is crime still happening? When we come back, the thing I was going to talk about this hour, and, and it plays actually well into this Biden proposal to tax billionaires, uh, the yield curve is finally suggesting we're headed towards a recession. I want to talk about the war on cities because it's not really a war. It's just people have given up. Nobody wants to save the cities anymore. The cities left to their own devices are beginning to collapse in America. And you know what else is collapsing along the way? American population. This has very profound societal ramifications that we should discuss. And it comes on the heels of more and more data suggesting we're headed into economic stagflation, if not a recession, uh, but stagflation is worse, really. Uh, and consumers are starting to give up on the American economy. Uh, consumers have been very, very pessimistic. In fact, overwhelmingly, a lot of them, a majority of Americans think we are going to be at war with Russia soon, uh, which probably we're not. But Americans have decidedly uh, moved in a very more pessimistic direction, and that has major economic ramifications as people stop spending, start saving money, trying to get themselves out of debt, uh, and withdrawing from key parts of society and the economy as a result of the way they feel. And then, more importantly, they stop having babies as well. That has even longer-term ramifications for society. We're going to get into all that. I'll take your phone calls as well. 877-973-7425. When we come back right here on the Eric Erickson Show nationwide. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can 
So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.